Good evening, everyone. My name is Drew Melton. If you're following along in your bulletin, my name is not Keith Case, just for the record. You'll be hearing from Keith a little bit later. Um, Keith is uh, our lead pastor. He won't say it, but I will. Um, and we all appreciate Keith. Thanks also to Josh and the team for leading us in worship so far. Um, I love that song so much. And uh, it was particularly powerful to um, hear Earl on the drums in that song. Um, and I know that there are lots of us whose hearts are breaking for the Bahamas, lots of us who are going through grief um, at the moment, um, including the Bennetts. And um, it, it was just great to, to experience that song together. Our reading tonight comes from Matthew chapter 25. Um, it's verses 14 to 30, and it's going to be on the screens behind me um, if you would like to follow along. It will also be in the, the Bibles in your pews there. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and, ga and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have, been watch you have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. And went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers, so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside, into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This ends the reading of the word of the Lord. We Americans are awful listeners. I say this both as an American and an awful listener. 
I don't mean to say that all Americans are awful listeners. That's not necessarily true. I also don't mean to say that if you are not American, you're automatically a good listener. And as much as I think good listening is a difficult task for any human, we Americans are culturally conditioned not to listen. Listening requires humility. Our American culture does not value humility. Listening requires deference. Our American culture does not value deference. Listening requires silence. Our American culture does not value silence. I was profoundly reminded of this over the last couple of weeks. One of my new colleagues at Palm Beach Atlantic has just returned from living in Southeast Asia for the last 15 years. As we were reflecting on some of the new employee orientation things that we had been doing, all the conversations that we'd had with other faculty members and staff members, he told me he didn't really know how to have an American conversation anymore. He is from South Florida, but has been away for 15 years. I asked him what he meant, and he said, in our context, in Malaysia and Thailand, if you were having a conversation with someone, or listening to someone lead a discussion, you would never interject your own opinion or stop them while they're speaking to ask your own question. You would let them finish what they, and I cut him off and said something like, yes, you're right. How many times did people interrupt each other in that meeting that we were in? I'm not kidding, it took me several hours to realize the irony of what I'd done. I tend to do the same thing with the Bible. Before I'm even done reading or listening to a story from the Bible, I'm interrupting the text with my own questions. How much is a bag of gold? What is the significance of five bags versus two bags versus one bag? Is the master supposed to be Jesus? Are the servants supposed to be Christians? And I don't even let myself get to the end of the story. So I'm going to invite you, if you'd like you can close your eyes, I'm going to read the story again, and we're going to try to listen one more time. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. 
Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now we've stepped back, taken a moment to listen, and I've allowed myself to get to the end of the story. But I quickly run into a second problem, this particular parable of Jesus. I don't like the ending. As a listener, I'm left with this image of judgment, this image of weeping and gnashing of teeth, whatever that means. An image of terror, really. And I'm left with the overwhelming sense that everything, life itself, depends on how I handle the burden of the kingdom of God. Handle it well, be a good steward, produce fruit, and you will receive the pat on the back. Well done, good and faithful servant. But handle it poorly, bury the gift, live a fruitless life, and you're fired. Throw that wicked servant outside. First of all, this parable is not about who's in and who's out of the kingdom of God. None of the first century listeners of this parable would have been worried that somehow they were in or out. It wasn't a question they were asking. But secondly, this is a parable about judgment. It's a parable of challenge, as are every one of Jesus' parables. I've sometimes heard it said that Jesus' teachings are meant to afflict the comfortable, and comfort the afflicted. One theologian says this about the parables, though. She says, We do well to think of the parables of Jesus as doing the afflicting. Therefore, if we hear a parable and think, I really like that, or worse, fail to take any challenge, we are not listening well enough. So I'm going to try to listen well to this parable. And if that means I am burdened or challenged or set free, I'm going to try to take all of that as gift, as grace for listening to the word of the Lord. In fact, when it comes to these parables of Jesus, I think we are meant to learn from them. We are. But we could be less concerned about what they mean And perhaps allow them instead to do something to us. To transform us. To burden us. To challenge us. To set us free. 
these are the points for the sermon tonight. We're talking about being rooted in the kingdom. This is the final week of our series, year-long series of talking about being rooted. And we're talking tonight about being rooted in the kingdom and particularly about how this parable illustrates Jesus' entrusting of the kingdom to us. But in the process of listening well to this parable, I want us to pay close attention to what this parable does to us. How do, I, how do our ideas of stewardship and the kingdom need to change as a result of hearing this parable? My three points are the burden of the kingdom, the challenge of the kingdom, and the freedom of the kingdom. But that is precisely what this parable does to me. It burdens me, it challenges me, and it sets me free. But I'm equally interested in what this parable does to you. So think back from just a few minutes ago when we listened to the story for a second time. What did it do to you? How did it strike you? Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with the two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside, into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The 
Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says the word of God is living and active. One of the ways I think we must understand this is by admitting that the text of Scripture has the power to do something to us. And through the inspiration of God, we are acted upon by these words. So I ask again, when you hear this story, when you listen to this story, what does it do to you? The story begins with a very clear link of continuity with the parable that precedes it. Matthew 25 verse 1 says, At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like. And then Jesus tells the parable of the ten wedding attendants. Five who were wise, watchful, and prepared, and five who were foolish. And then Matthew 25 verse 14 says, Again, it will be like. The it clearly referring to the kingdom of heaven. This is the best that translators can do in English because the Greek grammar here is so terse, so short, that essentially Jesus is telling two parables, one after the other, and expecting his audience to draw the conclusion that the theme of the kingdom runs through both. This kind of transition is startling and abrupt, to be sure, but it's also anxiety-producing. Because the first parable in Matthew 25, the parable of the wedding attendants, is a parable about judgment. And so the continuation of the theme of the kingdom is also a continuation of the theme of judgment. To this point, the first thing this parable about the servants and the bags of gold does to me is burden me. Listen again to the opening line, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. Called and entrusted. Let us understand, we are called to the kingdom and we are entrusted with the kingdom. And this is a burden. In a culture, in an American culture, that in the name of freedom, in the name of freedom, holds up individual personal autonomy as an idol and berates and belittles and dismisses any ideology that runs contrary to I do me, you do you. In this culture, there is no room for a positive theology of burden. We hear Jesus say, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And we breathe easier. Yes, Jesus, I am weary and burdened. Yes, Jesus, set me free. Yes, Jesus, Take this weight from my shoulders and let me run unhindered wherever I want to go. No. No. 
Yes, Jesus will set you free. Yes, he will take your burdens and he will give you rest. But keep reading Matthew chapter 11. He says, take my yoke upon you. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus takes our burden of shame, our burden of addiction, our burden of hate, of lust, of pride, of greed, of jealousy, of trauma and pain, and he gives us another burden instead. The burden of his own kingdom, his own inheritance, his own hope and glory. This is not freedom for freedom's sake. This is freedom for heaven's sake. This is not a burdenless freedom. This freedom comes with the burden of the kingdom. This is not freedom to go in whatever direction we want to go. This is freedom guided by the yoke of Jesus. The gentle one, the humble one, the one who wants rest for our souls. This parable starts with burdening me and it doesn't seem to let up because the second thing that this parable does to me is challenge me. It doesn't matter what your translation calls the monetary unit in this parable. You might have talents in your translation. You might have bags of gold, bags of silver, valuable coins, even thousand dollars. I've seen all of these translations of Matthew chapter 25. The operational word we need to hear here is wealth. The Greek unit used in this parable is something like 20 years wages. 20 years wages. And the first servant gets five of these. I'll pause for some of you to do the math because you just can't help it. But the important point, the important point, the challenge of this parable is not the amount of money that these servants were given, but that they needed to do something with what was entrusted to them. The challenge is not about how much money they were given, but that they needed to do something with what was entrusted to them. It doesn't ultimately matter how much the servants were given. It doesn't ultimately matter that they were each given a different amount. It doesn't ultimately matter that the first two servants exactly doubled what was given to them. What matters, it seems to me, is that those servants put the money to work and therefore were given the distinction of faithful servant. The third servant goes and buries the money in the ground. Now, it may seem obvious to us in the 21st century that this was the unwise choice, but it certainly would not have been obvious to Jesus' audience. There's an ancient Jewish parable recorded around the time that Jesus would have spoken this parable to his audience. And in that ancient Jewish parable, a rabbi commends a man for burying his wealth. Because that is the only sure and stable way to secure one's wealth. It's the old, don't trust the banks, put the cash under the mattress 
philosophy of economics. Jesus' audience would have expected that all three of these servants made wise decisions with their master's wealth. But Jesus upends this expectation. Jesus says to them this challenge, the burden of the kingdom is not something we can sit on. It's not something we can hoard for ourselves or save for a rainy day. In fact, I would venture so far as to say that if the kingdom is buried and concealed in the metaphorical ground of our church walls, then we have so distorted the inheritance that it ceases to be an embodiment of the kingdom at all. If we bury it in the ground, it's not the kingdom anymore. This parable burdens me and challenges me. All at once, I recognize the glorious weight of the inheritance that has been entrusted to us. And I recognize that we are compelled to do something with that inheritance. Maybe you feel some of the same pressure even now. Maybe like me, like the young ruler who came to Jesus, you're now asking the question, what must I do to inherit the kingdom? And maybe you're fearful now as the third servant seems to have been. Fearful that you'll mess it up. That whatever you do might diminish the inheritance rather than grow it. If this is you right now, please hear a word of encouragement. This parable burdens me and it challenges me. But finally and ultimately, this parable also sets me free. And here's how. The methods, the methods are not explicated in this parable. The parable does not mention how the faithful servants put the inheritance to work. Just that they did put the inheritance to work. In fact, if we allow ourselves to enter the story from the perspective of the servants, they couldn't have known at the outset whether their methods would even produce positive results. They couldn't have known when they put the money to work that they would even bear fruit. It reminds me of a quote from Soren Kierkegaard, his book Fear and Trembling, where he says this, If anyone on the verge of action should judge themselves according to the outcome, they would never begin. Even though the result may gladden the whole world, that cannot help the hero. For heroes know the result only when the whole thing is over. And that is not how they became heroes, but by virtue of the fact that they began. Heroes become heroes by virtue of the fact that they begin. That's the response I see from the two faithful servants in this parable. Entrusted with the burden of the kingdom and accepting the challenge of the kingdom, they took a step forward. That's all. 
They took a step of faith. And there is freedom in that step of faith. The story doesn't say that those faithful servants invested the inheritance in the church. Or that they bought some well-placed property that increased in value. Or that they started their own business. All of these things might be good, but the parable doesn't tell us those things. Because the precise methods are not the point in this parable. The precise methods are not the point. The point is that the kingdom is not something that can be buried, but something that is alive, that grows, that works. And so we are left with a challenge and a burden to take a step of faith. But a step of faith that frees us. Let us pray.